welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I am so glad that you have come along. Thanks for checking this out. And if you have enjoyed past episodes of the More to the Story podcast, I would love it if you would write a review for us on Apple Podcasts or share a link with friends, share on social media, subscribe on YouTube, however you're getting this. That just helps the content that we're producing get a further audience. I don't know how all those algorithms work online, mm -hmm. but they say that that makes a difference. So I encourage you to check that out. And we have a great episode today with a new friend of mine, and I'm going to introduce him here just in a second. But those of you who are interested in the Wesleyan holiness tradition are going to be fascinated. I'm telling you, fascinated by this subject today. But first, we want you to know that today's podcast comes to you from Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. We do that through a variety of programs. And actually in September, there's something very important starting called the Wesley Institute. It's a program for lay people, nine month program that there's two versions. There is a, a Bible track and a theology track. And we walk through every book of the Bible in the Bible track. And we have seminary professors teaching on all of those sessions. And then there's a theology track on a similar type of trajectory. So we'd love for you to check that out at WBS. Edu. Also, this podcast is brought to you by WPO Development. Their CEO, Keith Waters, has helped more than 250 organizations around the country with mission planning studies, feasibility studies, and capital campaigns. And they do a great job, job coming alongside of people, helping them kind of develop a vision, know where they're going, and it helps them get there. So you can find uh, information about WPO Development in the show notes. And Finally, I want to make sure you know that this fall, as you're kind of getting together your resources, maybe for a Sunday school class or for a small group curriculum, I have just released a new study of the book of Jude. It's six mm -hmm. sessions, five hours of content that's designed for small groups and Sunday school classes with, with a discussion guide, discussion forum, um, experts talking on this on certain areas and walking through this powerful little book that calls us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so you can check that out my website at andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymillerii.com. All right. I am excited to welcome into the podcast, the More to Story podcast, Dr. Luther O'Connor, who serves as the Global Wesleyan Theology Professor at uh, Asbury Theological Seminary, particularly in Asbury Global, which means that it's a campus that's connected to uh, not just their campus in Wilmore, but all of their extension sites around the country and maybe at some point around the world. Luther, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you, Andy. Thanks for having me uh, in this famous podcast of yours. <laughs> so, uh yeah, so I'm I'm glad to be here and uh, and and with a you know with our conversation, uh, particularly uh, uh, on the topic that you've asked me to talk about. Yeah, we're gonna get there. Just say before we do that, I mean I've been so impressed and thankful for just to you know we've just known each other even in this year. We served on a committee together at the Faith uh, Once for All Delivered mm -hmm. where we the next Methodism concept that was a really exciting thing, and then. We were at a conference together uh, where we were both speaking. And I'm just like, huh. I, I, I'm like, man, how did I not know this guy sooner? <laughs> so I'm really thankful to get a chance to share in your, mm -hmm. but, but tell, tell some folks just briefly about you and how God's been at work in your life and even your, your calling to serve as a professor and scholar. Uh, yes, I'm currently a professor at the uh, Asbury Theological Seminary. I just joined the faculty just last year. Uh so this is my 10th year of teaching uh in this you know as a ministry 
but uh, prior to that, I've been at United Theological Seminary for nine years uh, in Dayton, Ohio. And in fact, I just moved here uh, in Orlando, in the Orlando area, just last month. Uh, okay. So we're still we still have boxes to uh, to unpack. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, but anyway, I'm I'm originally from the Philippines. Uh, yeah. I was born and raised there, uh, and moved to this country um, in 2001 when I did my masters uh, at the university, uh, and then okay, moved on. Yeah, Drew. Yeah, in okay. Madison, New Jersey, uh, and and then went on to do my PhD there. Um and, did, and you, did you work with Tom Odin there? Uh no. Uh he was already on the way out when when oh, okay. I when I got there. Uh but I got to work with uh, a number of amazing people uh sure. in the in the Wesleyan studies um what do you call that uh cohort that uh I drew. Yes. Uh and uh, and so it's been uh it's been a great journey um to learn more about Methodism while I was there. And even uh, to know more about uh, my own heritage as a Methodist from the Philippines. Yes, <laughs> uh, this is as so I, yes, yes. As I did my dissertation, particularly on that, uh, on that subject matter. Uh, okay, yeah. So was that was it connected mm-hmm. to Methodism or, or even the Holiness movement? Or, or yeah, it's both? it's it's yeah. sort of the uh, intersection between Methodism, okay. uh, the manifestations of the Holiness movement uh, in in mission in mission history. Yes. Uh, and and a little bit of an intersection with Pentecostalism, Pentecostal gotcha. history. So we have those three going on uh, um, in my study. Now, a lot of people will know, like I've had some people on my podcast that talk mm-hmm. about what's mm-hmm. going on in Methodism. So I had Keith Boyette from the WCA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Recently, I had Rob Renfro on for Good News. And there's a significance of what's called the within United Methodism, the Central Conference. Is Were you a part of the United Methodist Church or just a branch of Methodism? Uh, I'm still part of the United Methodist Church. I'm an, okay. I'm an ordained elder okay. uh, in, in the Philippines because in the Philippines, uh, we did not become autonomous. So we're okay. still part of the United Methodist Church connection and under the Philippine Central Conference. Oh, okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so it started in 18, the Methodist, at least the Methodist Episcopal Church came to the Philippines uh, late 1898, eight, early 1899. Uh, and that's where Methodism started there. Um, and now gotcha. we're like, uh, I think, six annual conferences all over the country. Uh, and 300,000 uh, plus United Methodists Wow! Uh, in the Philippines. You all hear that. 300,000 yeah. <laughs> plus United Methodists in the Philippines. Yes. Wow. That is amazing. And, and, and so there's a whole system of, of probably seminaries and schools. Yes. Isn't there even an Asbury College in the Philippines? Yes, there is yeah. one, but but no, no connections with the, right. <laughs> with the Asbury in, in Wilmer. Wilmer, Kentucky. Uh, yeah. It's just, uh, I guess, just named after Asbury to yeah, begin yeah. with, uh, and and then a whole number of, uh, probably about you know a dozen uh, colleges, wow. uh, or maybe less than a dozen colleges uh, all over the country, uh, and uh, and plenty of kindergarten schools. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Wow. Who, who did mm-hmm. Now, t- okay, this is a, I didn't tell you I was going to ask this question. So tell me a little bit, like, as you've come to the United States, it's been mm-hmm. 10 years here or, or longer, 10 years. Teaching. Yeah, 20 years plus, yeah. 20 years. Wow. Yeah. So tell me about the compare and contrast um, 
Methodism between the two. Oh, that's an that's an interesting <laughs> question because I, I got to encounter that just right off the bat. Uh, you know, but, you know, uh, sort of press of the boat <laughs> when okay. I when I when when I first came in. It was, this was a week before nine eleven, <clears throat> and uh, oh wow, and uh, a week or two weeks before that, and and so the the first sunday the first sunday i went to a united methodist church which was nearby the campus at drew uh and of course naturally because i'm united methodist i, I would go to a united methodist church right. and so i went there and attended and uh and lo and behold the, the you know the pastor had a dig- uh, had a doctorate phd degree <laughs> but as I, but, but as i was you know uh, as I, as he was speaking i was kind of you know, I, I was already noticing the differences wow. <laughs> with the yeah. way he preached uh, the message. Uh, and it felt like, you know, it felt, I felt like an alien wow. uh, in, in, in that church. I didn't know whether I was in a Methodist church or not. <laughs> right. Um, and nobody greeted me. Nobody said hi to me. I went in and I went out and that was it. <laughs> but but I never, and then I never came back. Wow. Uh, and then I, uh, you know, uh, and then a week later, uh, I got in touch with a, uh, with a pastor of the Vineyard Church. Okay, interesting. <laughs> on campus, uh, and he came and picked me up, and then from then on, I started attending a Vineyard Church. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, because I felt much more at home. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, with with the type of worship that they had at the uh, at the Vineyard Church, that's the spirituality, the uh, the warmth. Uh, I felt uh, much more of a connection there uh, wow. than with the United Methodist uh, Church that I went to. Um, gotcha. Yeah, and so, yeah, so so that's and I was there in that Vineyard Church for probably about seven years. Um, okay. uh, but but the almost in in and out because I was also serving another church, okay. um, uh, a non denominational denominational church later on as a youth pastor. Uh, okay. But I was, but always been connected with with that vineyard church more than I was connected with the United Methodist Church. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the irony. Yeah, as I visited, you know, as we've come to the Jackson area, visiting other churches to see what's going on, I, I've been interested. Like the one of the most Wesleyan messages that I've heard has come at a charismatic church. Oh yeah, yes, <laughs> so yes. It's interesting, like to be truly connected to the identity of the movement. Uh, it mm-hmm. might need to be something that is outside of the institutions of the yes. government sometimes. Yes, exactly. And that kind of, you know, that kind of made me realize that uh, in the United Methodist Church in the Philippines, we were more charismatic. Okay. Uh, we were more charismatic, Pentecostal leaning uh, than United Methodists uh, uh, in the U.S. <laughs> uh, yeah. But of course, as, as, you know, as my knowledge of the United Methodist Church in the U.S. kind of expanded and met more people, I realized that there, there were pockets. <laughs> Uh, yes. of the of charismatic expressions uh, all throughout United Methodism uh, in the U.S. It, it just, and so it just so happened that the ones that I've encountered while I was in New Jersey uh, weren't like that. Um, yeah. And then when we you know, moved, when you to, say charismatic, yeah. yes, do you mean um, it, do we mean like emphasizing healing, speaking in tongues, or just uh, kind of an awareness of the spirit? Or, yes, or more of the awareness of the spirit and the worship style, uh, particularly with, uh, you know, praise and worship, uh, yeah. praise and worship music. And uh, of course, the language of the spirit, you know, lang- um, listen, the, in, in the 
uh, in the language um, uh, of the church. You can hear people talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. So we get that a lot uh, in the in the Philippines. Yeah, uh, and partly because of that history as well, which I'm gonna probably you know get a chance to talk more about. Uh, yeah, exactly. In, in this, so this episode, this <laughs> with your research. So yes, that's, that's what I love. Mm-hmm. I love it when our, our research interests, our writing, our preaching truly is con- connected to our life. Now, before we go too much further, I do want to mention, I'm not seeing your screen. I don't know if yeah. you, your screen is frozen, but which might be okay. It's, and people on YouTube, you might just have to deal with me if you're looking for a movement. Uh, but yeah, let's try and start it. There okay, you go. there you go. Gotcha okay, again. cool. So good. Okay, cool. so this is interesting. So your dissertation was on holiness the holiness movement in the philippines yes but that then gave you an avenue to Mm -hmm. think of a very particular event of a key holiness movement leader henry clay exactly yeah who is the founder of asbury seminary fascinating Mm -hmm. that you're there of course and then also the was the president of asbury college at that time but people might not know they might know him for that but this you have to know this is a gigantic figurehead spokesperson of this theological perspective and united mm. that perspective behind a magazine called the Pentecostal Herald. Yeah. But you, you found something very interesting about, um, and I had heard about this, mm-hmm. um, about his world, uh, uh, tour of evangelism, but talk to me about what has interested you in that tour. Yeah. Because first, first and foremost, it's because uh, it's, it's something that kind of, you know, I, I've in, in, during my research for my dissertation, yeah. I've I've kind of briefly intersected with that uh, with Henry Clay Morrison, particularly his tour, uh, because uh, he went to the Philippines as part of yes. that tour. Uh, but but he was in the Philippines for only a few days. But um, but his visit there made uh, quite a dent, quite quite quite, a, quite an impact yes. uh, in in Methodism in the Philippines. Uh, uh, you know, historians would say one of our story, uh, one of our foremost historian in, in Methodism in the Philippines, our first, the first Methodist Filipino Methodist bishop, uh, I would make his name is Dionisio Alejandro. He went to Asbury as well. Uh, he made the claim that um, that that Morrison's visit in the Philippines among the Methodists in the Philippines made holiness the birthright of wow. of, of Filipino Methodists. It started a a, a whole new spiritual culture uh, wow. in the Philippines that lasted until uh, World War II, World War Second, and beyond. Okay. Uh, and so that's what kind of caught my attention. So that's why I look into that. Uh, and and later on, there was this uh, uh, there was this opportunity uh, at a conference, uh, actually at AAR, uh, okay. to present something on the intersections between. The wholeness movement and Pentecostalism. That's when I started to look more deeply into uh, Morrison's world tour of evangelism, which kind of allowed me to see uh, much more uh, of that. You know, to see wh- where he went, uh, the different countries he went to, how he ministered, the message he preached, uh, and its impact in those different countries that he went to uh, within a span of eleven months. Amazing. Yes, and, quite and amazing. Very now. You, you highlight that it's yeah. not properly called. It's not properly a world tour because he yes. didn't go. No, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't like travel the world. Where did no. he go to? Luther? Yes, first he went to England, uh, 
and 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 basically just did a you know just did a uh, uh, touristy stop, yeah, <laughs> like like a pilgrimage stop of many of the sites in England. You might as well. Yeah, you might as well do that. And then he went to to, to Palestine, uh, you know, the Holy Land, and again did touristy stuff. But really, did, those were just a segue in, for him to go into India. Uh, right. Because so, in India, uh, Methodism had quite a a, a big presence there. Uh, the, what particularly, year was this? This what was, was in nineteen nineteen ten. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so yeah, he, yeah. He left the U.S. in July nineteen oh nine. And then he came back in around June, uh, yeah, June nineteen. Then, yeah. So, but, but but anyway, he he got into India and spent uh, I think about five weeks in India, particularly uh, in the mission stations uh, of the Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, and then after that, went to Rangoon, that is Burma or Myanmar today, uh, and then Singapore, the Philippines. And then went to and then went to China. Uh, he went to he went to Japan, uh, and then Korea. Um, quite interesting. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, and did uh, and what's interesting is you know he he didn't just go to uh, visit missionaries from the Methodist Episcopal Church. Uh, he went to see missionaries in from the Methodist Episcopal Church South, uh, uh, particularly when he was in Korea. Uh, he also uh, went and ministered to uh, missionary, uh, you know, to free within the Free Methodist Church as well, <laughs> uh, uh, YMCA, and and what else, um, and 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 OMS, the Oriental Missionary Society. Well, well, these are all, you know, some of them are what we would call today mainline churches. Some, right. uh, you know. Uh, some would be would would become like the OMS. It was a uh, missionary organization uh, in in the radical holiness sense. But what kind of this shows us is uh, the holiness movement uh, was kind of present in, in in different denominations at that time. Uh, yes. I always put it this way: it's like kind of like the charismatic movement today. There's no particular yes. denomination that uh, claims ownership to it, but it just kind of. Uh, you know, it's just kind of in- integrally uh, operating uh, uh, within denomination, you know, outside denominational lines. Right. Uh, and, they even resisted it, didn't they? I mean, yes, this is early Pentecostalism. Yes. yes. And, and, and it's interesting, too, that they think mm. that this, mm. and this is so connected, Morrison's mm-hmm. periodical is called the Pentecostal. Exactly. Herald. Exactly. Uh, my, the founder of my movement in the Wesleyan tradition, yeah. the, the Salvation Army, is famous for a song. This thing we want another Pentecost, right? Yes, like exactly. This, and, and, yeah. and also this move away mm-hmm. from denomination, not thinking yes. of themselves as denominations, yes. though sociologically yeah. clearly yeah. they are functioning as a denomination. Yeah, because today when we say Pentecostal, uh, people see it or understand it to mean the Pentecostal movement, or at least the, the modern Pentecostal movement that started in 1906 uh, out of the Azusa revival in Los Angeles. Right. Uh, but what people don't know is that this Pentecostal movement is much more earlier than that. It's you know it's uh, probably a, a byproduct of the holiness movement. Yes. <laughs> uh, particularly in the 1890s when there was a, a shift uh, in uh, in the way the holiness movement articulated the, the doctrine of holiness, and and they begin to equate it with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
So, so the teachings on holiness, which is kind of, which is really a what we would call a Methodism, the grand depositum of Methodism, uh, has taken more Pentecostal motif. Uh, right. In the way people explained it, it they explained it more uh, in, in in the in the vein of you know the language found in in the book of Acts. <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, and, and so people started equating it, you know, especially the experience of entire sanctification. Uh, it was equated with uh, the experience of the spirit-filled life or the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, right. And so you would see a lot of holiness folks started talking about entire sanctification that way. Uh, and so that's why it's no accident. For example, in the case of Morrison and others, at least in the Methodist tradition, uh, they would have what, would they, what they would call Pentecostal meetings. Uh, these, are, these were revival meetings uh, that they would hold and they would call them Pentecostal because the main message was for people to experience the, the Pentecostal blessing. Yes. <laughs> but, but and when they say Pentecostal blessing, what they really mean is entire sanctification. Right. Uh, plus uh, a manifestation of, of power, you know, for, for mission or ministry. Uh, so you so you see those themes kind of uh, become become quite dominant in, in, in the 1890s. Um and and so the the, the fact that uh, Morrison changed the name of the paper uh his paper, I think, old, I think Methodists or old Methodists to, to Pentecostal Herald right, uh, right, right, right. seems to, or at least uh, illustrates the fact that you have there was the shift within within the holiness movement uh, towards towards that what I would call Pentecostalized uh, holiness, uh, and and so that's why uh, you know that was the dominant theme that you will find in in, in the holiness movement, and and it manifested. Uh, among the missionaries who went to the mission field uh, in different denominations, uh, they all, you know, they were they were deeply influenced by the by the holiness movement, particularly through holiness revivals, because you know most of them got their call to the mission field uh, in a revival. <laughs> yes, uh, in a revival meeting, uh, they experienced uh, you know the Pentecostal blessing. And so it's you know it's not an accident uh, to see them to see the accounts um, at least you, if you look at their diaries their journal reports there's a lot of that language going on them talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost talking about the spirit filled life and it's all because of that influence yes uh, and you find across the board in, from folks from different denominations <laughs> sometimes it's hard to make the the, the, the distinction you know among these folks. Uh, but but really, if you look at them, they they're just reading the same books. They're just you know. Uh, I, it's interesting. It's a yeah. pan, yeah. pan West. We we are popularly yeah. saying now mm -hmm. pan Wesleyanism, particularly yes. with mm -hmm. United Methodism, mm -hmm. quite frankly, falling apart and becoming yeah. something new. So we, yeah, there, you know, there are United Methodist churches. They're becoming Free Methodist and the mm -hmm. Global Methodist. And so we're we're thinking like so. For instance, I I had your colleague, my friend Jonathan Powers, come on yes. and talk about the new pan Wesleyan hymnal. But Henry Clay Morrison was doing all of this yes, through exactly. the Pentecostal Herald, which by the yes. way, I always find it interesting that there's still a remnant of the Herald. Well, after I studied, not to, not to the same extent you have, but studying um, Morrison myself, mm -hmm. I realized that the Asbury Seminary uh, magazine is called the Herald. Yes, it's yes. the remnant kind of the remnant of that, Pentecostal yeah. Herald. So I think mm. that that's that's interesting. But nevertheless, like what it was that united it 
was was um Morrison's movement. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was I, I I wouldn't say it's his movement. Right? Yeah, of course. And theologically, I want to think of it as the work of the spirit. Like it's, yeah. it's God's work is what God wants to see happen in the world. At the same time, there I, the role of the institution is interesting yes. because it wasn't it wasn't an institution uniting these groups globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Morrison's paper. Yes, I mean, am I exactly. wrong in that? Yeah, I think you're correct. Um, and it's not just Morrison's paper. There were a number of papers as well. Uh, you know, uh, the homeless movement was quite huge during that time. Mm-hmm. And, and there were a number of folks, you know, doing their own thing, publishing their own papers. And, and Morrison seems, uh, President Council Herald was, you know, probably would be on the top level <laughs> or top tier right, right, right. Uh, of all those papers because it's, you know, because of his... Uh, uh, I would say, you know, he was more ecumenical. Uh, at least in that in that point, because he he just kind of in, in his tour, his world tour of evangelism illustrates that because he just went from one denomination to another, very much welcome, you know. Uh, yes. And because of that, you know, it kind of illustrates his his influence um, and and popularity um, yes. within the Pan Wesleyan, you know, connection uh, of that time. And, and also yeah. because I think the message, you know, people Amen. just resonated with the message. Uh, and and so it's easy uh, for him to to just kind of crisscross from one boundary to another. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. Let me pause this. I want to get back to the historical piece. And that's really yes. important. Mm-hmm. But there's also, I think you and I get excited about this mm-hmm. because yes. it's like, reality yeah <laughs> it's like, exactly. it's like there might there might have been some problems mm-hmm. in the holiness movement of that time but mm-hmm. tell me about your own experience with this like uh this type of pentecostal blessing and yeah exactly it's yeah. a biographical yeah. like yeah. why does this matter to you yeah it might i'm glad you asked that question because uh you know people would say when i was a drew you know they would tell us you know dissertations are really biographical and and that's mm. really true for myself, uh, because okay. my dissertation was really connected to my own experience, to my own quest to understand Methodism mm. uh, in the Philippines, and particularly to the lens of my own experience, uh, because way back in 1997, uh, th- that was the year when I entered the ministry, when I decided uh, I was an engineer at that time. Uh, okay. I was a junior engineer working for a up and rising uh, telecommunications company in the in Manila, okay. uh, and I was working there for for three years in that field. Uh, and and lo and behold, I, I I got an experience of what I would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, okay. It was an, uh, it was this was at an event called Aldersgate uh, oh. Youth Conference. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so this was a this was uh, you know this was the the beginning. Of, of a charismatic movement in the in the Methodist Church in the Philippines, probably started about 1994, but then started to just kind of explode uh, and reach the young people. And so this was a gathering of young people, Methodist United Methodist young people, about 800 of us, uh, in in a place called Baguio City in 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 the Philippines. And I was there, you know, at the time where I was getting going through my own spiritual crisis. Okay. Uh, because I felt that, you know, I, uh, I, once I began entering the field of engineering, working in the telecoms firm, uh, I, I found myself becoming less Christian <laughs> Interesting. And, and kind of 
turning away from the faith in a way because I became so so busy and fixated on on success, uh, you know, career. Uh, but then I I just saw that uh, having, you know, having a toll on my my own my own walk with God, uh, my own spirituality, and it's been manifesting in, in my life. And I didn't want it. I didn't like it. Uh, and so uh, I got to a point where you know. I felt like I was at, uh, at the back of the wall and with no with nowhere else to go and and I said you know uh, when I heard that there was this gathering of young people uh, in in this Aldersgate event I said I'm gonna go there I'm gonna tell my boss I'm gonna you know I'm I'm gonna go there and he, he better allow allow me to get because I'm gonna I'm about to die so to speak wow. Um and uh, so lo and behold, I, I got to that event and just the first night, boom, you know, mm. experienced something uh, that was kind of out of the uh, ordinary, at least in the, in the matter of the sense. Uh, it, um, I found myself on the floor, uh, and then I started laughing on the floor. Interesting. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just felt this waves upon waves of of this divine presence. Yeah. Uh, that then I started laughing. Actually, when they told me I was the I was the first person to do that in that event. <laughs> but there was just waves upon waves, and I was there for yeah. more than an hour, uh, yeah. laughing, crying, you know, and you know. But but I, I but you know, I, it was it was amazing. I felt like I was in heaven. Uh, but then one thing led to another in that event that it became clear to me. Uh, that I was not where God wanted me. Yeah. Uh, and because prior to that, even as early as in when I was in elementary and high school, people were already telling me I was going to become a pastor. Uh, yeah. I already had that call to ministry. But I, yeah. but then after finishing college, I, I ran away from it. <laughs> I ran away from the call. And so, yeah. so basically this event uh, made it clear to me that I was called to the ministry. Yeah. Uh, so, so it 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 made God real to me, so real to me that there was no way I was gonna go home and not be changed by the experience. Um, and and so there and right there and there, uh, the Lord impressed in my heart that I should, you know, I should fulfill my promise. <laughs> wow! And so I did, uh, and there made the result that I'm gonna quit my job. And after that, you know, return back to Manila, and first day. Uh, you know, first day back at work, uh, I spoke to my boss and told him I'm gonna quit. Wow! And I was I was gonna become a pastor, uh, and so I did. And uh, there were a number of young people who did the same. Uh, it, uh, this is we're talking about the United Methodist Church, and so in the Philippines, when you say you want to become a pastor, uh, they appoint you right away to a church. <laughs> you okay. get a, so a few months later, this was February. 1997. By June, I was pastoring a church, uh, and even wow. and even that church was prophesied in, in that event that I will be in this church, the same church. Wow! wow. <laughs> uh, it was a church by the highway, and I was in a church by the highway, <laughs> exactly as amazing. Yes, as revealed, uh, and so I was there. Uh, but then, of course, given my experience, you know, this charismatic experience, not naturally, I would carry that with me. Uh, and and that caused a lot of problems for me uh, in my church. You know, it was awesome because uh, the church went through a period of revival. Uh, we became more Pentecostal than a nearby Assembly of God church. 
<laughs> and this was a United Methodist Church. Uh, but then, uh, you know, older pastors uh, within the district, in my district, started noticing. Uh, and that's, that's when the persecution started. You know, uh, they, they, were start, they, they started sending folks to kind of look at me or kind of uh, look on me and sort of kind of spy on me, so to speak. Mm. Uh, and then uh, that would eventually get me in trouble. Wow. Uh, later on, um, after a year, and because I became so identified as a Pentecostal, and and I was told that uh, there's no that's not allowed in the United Methodist Church. Uh, wow. It got to a point that uh, that I was um, I got a me and, and two other pastors. We 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 were. Uh, we we got you know uh, we got they, we we were put in a meeting with uh, with our decom what what we call district committee on ministries, um, and 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 they recommended that they would charge us with a chargeable offense, uh, in our book of discipline for the dissemination of doctrines contrary to the doctrines of the United Methodist Church because of our Pentecostalism, that's yeah. basically what it is. And so I, I asked them, you know, what what did we do that's you know that's uh, that's uh, not compatible with the doctrines of the U, of the Methodist of, of the Methodist Church or the UMC, and they couldn't tell me <laughs> anything. Wow. But the, all they knew was, you know, what we're doing was not Methodist. Uh, and and so and so that's kind of kind of signaled for me the beginning of. Uh, by the way, nothing happened to us, uh, even though they recommend us uh, to be uh, uh, to be charged. Uh, the bishop eventually reversed that to come annual conference, and it didn't happen. But you know, it, it kind of marked for me the beginning of a search uh, to kind of find out more about my heritage as a Methodist and to understand my experience and say. Because I was, I began to do research about Methodism in England and saw all of these accounts of revivals during right, the time right. of Wesley, um, and then American Methodism, and so uh, and so that kind of led me to uh, led me to wanted to study more, and so I said, yeah. okay, I'm gonna what I'll do is probably I need to go to the U.S. <laughs> uh, and get to the bottom of this and learn more about Wesley, learn more learn more about Methodism. Um, and so I did. The year after that, I was I was a Drew. Uh, no, probably no, not the year after that. I went to seminary first, and then after graduating at seminary in the Philippines, uh, I went to Drew. Yeah. Uh, and, and with the intent of you know being there for a master's only for a year, a year or yeah. two. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, and 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 uh, and and then not lo and behold, God opened the doors for me to to move into the PhD program. Uh, I drew, and and my research question was okay. If there was this powerful revival during the time of Wesley, uh, and then in American Methodism, and then so my question was: Was there anything like that in the Methodist Church in the Philippines in its early history? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what led me to this, basically, to this research. Uh, yes. uh, uh, and so that led me to know more about the Holiness Movement. Uh, because what was what was the main thing that was happening during that period when the missionaries came to the Philippines? What was the main thing? And I realized it was the Holiness Movement. Yeah, that was that was really the the thing. Um, and so that led me to, to learn more about that uh, and its intersection with Pentecostalism. And then when I look at uh, you know the, the 
because I was there at Drew. That's where the uh, United Methodist Church archives uh, is located. Right. right. Uh, and so all of the missionary, uh, all of the journals, conference journals in the Philippines can be found there. Uh, you have the missionary, uh, you know, the missionary archival missionary materials. Uh, the, the, their journals, their diaries. Uh, so I was able to piece together all of this narrative and, and found that, you know, um, I realized that as I was looking at the accounts, I realized that, yes, we did have the same thing in the Philippines. <laughs> it's amazing. In the Methodist Church, you know, uh, and they were having what they would call Pentecostal meetings or in Tagalog, they would call it Culto Pentecostal. Uh, and and there were a lot of powerful accounts, uh, you know, to, and, and it was not just a a footnote in the history. It was uh, it was common. Uh, wow. It was mainstream. Uh, they do it every summer. Uh, yes. But then I realized that that you know uh, the best way to understand Methodism in the Philippines is through the lens of. Of holiness revivals, uh, because it wow. can. If, if you look it through that lens, you'll be able to understand all of the major events that happened uh, in its history. Uh, it, it's almost somewhat connected to all of these main events that we we've known for so for so long in the Philippines. Uh, but there's no, uh, no, no one has attempted to do it to use an interpretative lens uh, yeah. to study them. And so now I I, I got this tool. You know, the holiness revivals as my interpretative lens uh, to understand uh, the history better, uh, yes. and and so so that was my dissertation that later oh, became a book. I yeah. loved it, <laughs> the autobiographical, and, and how it blends with your own personal yeah, experience, and that's exactly. why I felt led to do. I mean, I kind of felt like, oh, as I was even asking you a question, like, should I say <laughs> this? Because mm-hmm. kind of, like, mm-hmm. but it it blends so mm-hmm. well with something that is true and and yes. real. And yes. that's what we emphasize here at Wesley Biblical Seminary mm-hmm. is uh, actually we it's a in our faculty manual that mm-hmm. once a semester, mm-hmm. everybody, every professor will testify to God's spirit's work in their life. The, yeah. the role of sanctifying grace and how yeah. God is progressively sanctifying us and how that comes in specific moments of crisis. And then to call upon students to, as John Wesley says, in Scripture Way of Salvation, seek it now. And, um, and so I, 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 that, that's, that's a requirement as me as a yeah. dean to make sure that happens. And, uh, exactly. and, and, and not that it has to like be a turnkey result, but yeah. we emphasize the role of story and that mm-hmm. then leads amazingly to yeah. discovering more in our research. Now, mm-hmm. I, I, one thing I found helpful with your um, paper, and this comes out in a book on holiness and Pentecostal studies, mm-hmm. uh, edited by David Bundy and Jordan Hammond. And, um, I, um, am fascinated by the distinctions you make and a lot of people don't yes. get get this between the keswick uh mm-hmm. uh holiness movement the radical holiness movement and the mm-hmm. wesleyan holiness movement yes so can you help me understand those distinctions yes uh beginning with let's begin with the wesleyan holiness movement or this yeah. wesleyan holiness expression that would be you know that would be the classic wesley understanding you know that's and that would we would usually call uh, eradicationist because in Wesley uh, we find this you know in this understanding of holiness at least when he talks about the entire sanctification of the possibility of the eradication of the sinful nature right um, and so it, what we see in, in Wesley is this optimism uh, optimism of grace 
uh, the possibility that the sinful nature can be can be totally overcome. Uh, again, partly because of his pneumatology, he, he, right. you know, his soteriology, his understanding of salvation is closely linked to his understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, yes. And so I think so that I think that kind of uh, gives you know helps this, us distinguish Pente- uh, Methodism from Pentecostalism because Pentecostalism usually now when you hear about pneumatology, it's mostly about the supernatural stuff, you know, healing wow. and all of that. But with Wesley, the, the the pneumatological stuff is mostly ingrained in his uh, soteriology, uh, yes, and, and yes, that yes. allows him to have more, much more optimism there uh, in the possibility of the eradication of the sinful nature. But then you move on to uh, you move on to the Keswick, yes. uh, the Keswick movement. It's much more of a uh, it's more of a middle way. Between the the Wesleyan holiness understanding and the Reform understanding of holiness, uh, because in the Reform understanding, uh, there's this understanding that you know the sinful nature cannot be overcome; it wow. cannot be eradicated. Uh, you know, uh, so there's a or even you know lessened like it's or lessened, yes. Yeah, it's always, it's always yeah, it's always present. Yeah, even though yeah, your yeah, name yeah. is Luther and I have yes. a Luther Bible. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, it doesn't mean yeah, exactly. Not simultaneously yeah. saint, simultaneously sinner, right? Yes, yes, and 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 then they at least for the Lutheran sense, there's this understanding that once you're uh, justified, you're already sanct- fully sanctified, you know. Right, right. But then there's also that understanding of sanctification in their sense that you're not gonna that that the sinful nature will never be overcome, at least right, in the Reformed right. sense. Uh, and, 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 but then, uh, you know, but then the Catholic movement seems to be a middle way, a via media between, between that reform understanding and the eradication understanding in the Wesleyan holiness sense, uh, by see, by agreeing or, uh, by acknowledging that yes, sin cannot be, uh, cannot be totally, you know, eradicated, but, but uh, it can be suppressed. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so, so the key word is not uh, in the Western holiness. It's eradication. In 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 the Catholic understanding, it's about suppression. It's like mm-hmm. you're suppressing. Uh, and and one of the ways I explain the distinction is uh, this illustration used by uh, James Talborn, Bishop James Talborn. Uh, he was. Uh, one of our early, it was actually the bishop who founded Methodism, Methodism in the Philippines. He was okay, the amazing bishop from yeah. uh, from India, uh, and 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 he's a Methodist bishop, but he was more of a Catholic person. Okay, uh, and uh, he he wrote a book, The Church of Pentecost. Uh, imagine he wrote this book, published it in 18, 1899. He's a Methodist bishop, but he wrote a book on the Church on Pentecost. Uh, uh, basically. Talking about holiness, but uh, Keswick holiness, okay. and then and then he he cites an uh, an illustration there whereby uh, he talks about a farmer uh, having a conversation with another farmer about you know having weeds in his garden, you know uh, you know he plants and then weeds turn up, and then the the other farmer said, uh, you know what, uh, uh, if uh, you you can actually eradicate those. <laughs> <laughs> those yeah. weeds if, if you just uh you know uh if you roots. yeah pick up the roots just pull them out you know uh and 
and, and you know, and 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 they never come back. And again, like that, basically, that kind of shows a Wesleyan holiness understanding. But then another guy showed up and said, "You know what? You, that's a you know that's a bad illustration, my friend. You know, <laughs> uh, because if you pull them out, they're gonna come back again. You know. Uh, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention the guys. The guy was talking about uh, you know burning them. There you go, burning them, not pulling oh, them out, okay. burning them. Yeah, burning them. So that's the Wesleyan Holiness understanding. Uh, but then the, the 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 third guy comes, and this is the classic guy, and he said, you know, that's a bad illustration, my friend. Uh, you know, yes, you burn them, but then they're still going to come back. So what, but here's my proposition. Why, why did you keep the fire burning? Mm, <laughs> so that's the suppression, you know? <laughs> so so that's the classic understanding. Uh, and and so so what you find in the classic move, movement is the language, you know, the, the, the term commonly used is, you know, the abiding life, you know, abiding in the spirit, uh, the spirit-filled life uh, to kind of indicate a much more of a, um, you know, it's like an ongoing thing. It's an, uh, to kind of, to show that, you know, by being connected to the Holy Spirit, that's the only way you can suppress uh, uh, the uh, the sinful nature from manifesting uh, in your life, but then it will never disappear as long as you leave. <laughs> it, yeah. it will always be there. But in the Wesleyan sense, no, it will. It will. It will be eradicated. It will disappear. Uh, you will overcome it. Uh, yeah. So that's so. Those are the distinction between Wesleyan holiness and and classic. And then what about radical holiness? Radical holiness comes more from the Wesleyan stream. The Wesleyan holiness stream. Uh, but then they're. Uh, they give a lot of emphasis on the eradication. Uh, they're, they're what we call uh, hyper eradicationists. Okay, you know they're the hyper eradicationists, and then you also add two 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 main teachings to them: uh, the belief in divine healing, right, uh, and premillennialism. Yes. So that's a, the other factor. So now, if is you, that premillennialism. Yes. Um, in the radical holiness movement, is that dispensational premillennialism, or is it more uh, of a historic type of? Yeah, it's more of a dispensationalist because yeah. because it, it appeared at a time when dispensationalism appeared uh, in the country, uh, and so there gotcha. were holiness folks who embraced that uh, gotcha. that, that so understanding dispensationalism. Yes, they, they would have affirmed the rapture. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and and it comes by in different degrees. In Morrison, I don't see a lot of that in his right. language, but he wrote a book on you know on the second coming. He wrote a book on uh, the world's getting worse. Is the word yes. getting wor- uh, better? Or the word the world's getting worse. You know. Yeah. Uh, but then his conclusion was the world's getting worse. <laughs> yeah. So that puts him in the premillennialist uh, stream, uh, and so. So his premillennialism is more about that, you know. It's it's, yes. the, it's I guess a product of what happened after uh, World War One, right. the Great War. It, a lot of a lot of uh, evangelicals uh, used to be much more op- optimistic about the future. Right. Became became premillennialists uh, because right. of you know they they begin to see that the world was getting worse and worse, <laughs> and then you did not look far because you have World War One going on. You know, uh, and I you think that's think where like yeah. Morrison mm. founds Asbury, mm. you know, seminary yeah. in 1923. 
So exactly. 100 years ago, you know, from now, but that's yeah. like, that's a period of history. What's happening, like we're, where we are in mm-hmm. between World Wars One and World War Two, And that yeah. dramatically affects what's happening. So that, that, okay. So, so, but they, so they had the radical um, holiness movement, mm-hmm. you know, was like doubled down on the eradication yes. language. So yes, I was did. a little bit surprised to hear you say like, because even the Wesleyan holiness stream, not mm-hmm. often thinking of them with that language of eradication. Yes. But when you said that the kind of radical holiness movement mm. over overemphasized yes. that yes. and premillennialism yeah. and healing, yeah. So and, and, the, yeah. go ahead. And I, and I think part of the doubling down was also the result of the uh, of the immense popularity of Keswick. You know, yeah. so they were reacting against Keswick because they see, oh wow, this this is a direct affront. Actually, they call it Morrison called it a heresy, a Wesleyan heresy, <laughs> the Keswick <Wow>. movement. <laughs> <laughs> you find that in my article, it calls it a you know a, a, a heresy, you know, and and uh, and he kind of abhorred the fact that there were uh, students at, at Asbury uh, who hold to the suppressionist understanding. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, and and he would say, you know, in in First John in First John one verse seven, uh, it, John did not say, you know, the the blood of Christ. Uh, Suppress, suppress all sin, but he said, cleanse yeah. us from all sin, not suppress us from all sin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, but again, it's, I think it's part of it. It's a reaction against uh, against Catholic and and they're finding Catholic manifesting within Methodism itself. Uh, yes. And so they tend to push back. Uh, and so that's why you get the, the hyper eradicationists uh, in them. Uh, yeah. So this connects yeah. to the, let me, uh, I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. we could go on for a long time. Exactly. I really appreciate these distinctions. Mm-hmm. So, but when you think about the world tour of evangelism, mm-hmm. so Morrison comes and mm-hmm. he brings this different yes. perspective yeah. of the radical, um, mm-hmm. holiness movement. So like, let's, let's see if we could tie up like what happened, but it's not, yes. I'm sorry to have to say tie it up because like it's leading us to a place where mm-hmm. a good thing happens that we'd like to see happen here as well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because you know he encountered that particularly when, when he went to India, you know, because by that time, you know, uh, and I wrote a paper on this also on, on, on the whole, the manifestations of the wholeness movement in the Madis missions in India and and the conclusion I, I I got was you know my conclusion was they became more Catholic in India. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because of their connection with with other denominations, mostly you know those coming from the Reform side, uh, and so the way that they were able to kind of uh, unite with the different missions was embrace Catholic. And you right, and but and then by the time by the time uh, Morrison arrived there in 1910 and does his thing revival uh, on the eradicationist you know and people would start commenting I would see you know comments on on like the Indian witness that's a paper they had in the Methodist Church in India and 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 what someone said you know I've never saw someone preach uh, about you know uh, about the poss- of the possibility of uh, re- entire sanctification, wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the re- eradication of the sinful nature, you know, uh, it was foreign to them, and this was the man yeah. of his church, you know, uh, right. and so that's I think that was the legacy of Morrison. It was he tried to bring that back, uh, yes, among the men. It's the more optimism on, on, on that understanding of the possibility. It's how this yeah. happens. 
over yes. and over again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The same like pattern keeps coming back and forth. Yeah. In my own denomination, mm-hmm. there was a period where we had clear eradication language mm-hmm. that was connected and then it was taken out. And yeah. there's been waves where it's like, uh, I don't know if you call it Keswick understanding, but but, mm. but, but close mm. to it. And then kind yeah. of coming back and forth. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. One of the key leaders was a very good friend like of of Morrison was mm-hmm. uh, Samuel Logan Brangle, oh. who was a mm-hmm. part of this same movement and it came from the Salvation Army. Yes. So I always find it interesting, like interesting. the way that often get they often get rediscovered. Yes. But I'm, yes. I'm hopeful that like this message, of course, can be like, mm-hmm connected to our own sense of God's exactly work. Yeah. 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 For Morrison, you know, uh, uh, I, I, you know, he, he, he definitely was moving in the radical holiness stream, uh, but he was more big on the, on, on that eradication. Uh, not, not so much on the healing. I never, I never saw anything uh, about him doing healing, uh, talking about healing, uh, uh, although you find you'll find accounts of that in the Pentecostal Herald from from people writing to the editor and you know talking about their divine healing experiencing healing, so I think I guess he allowed them to be published there. But from him personally, he reading his writings at least during that period within the uh, during the, the world tour, I look at you know uh, Pentecostal Herald 1910, 19, 1909, 1910, 1911. Uh, I didn't see anything from him speaking about divine healing, but there's a lot of him talking about uh premillennialism the second yes. coming uh but but not not during the tour uh it was mostly okay. about eradication yeah but but you'll find a lot of premillennialism in him later on um yeah so i think he, w- he would be rightly be categorized within the radical uh radical holiness stream but somehow managed to stay within mainstream methodism yeah, at the same that's time. the fascinating yes. thing. Yes, is yes. He still had that connection. It was still yes. this mm-hmm. Methodist-like figure yes. throughout there. Exactly. Uh, and because it's yeah. people. Yeah. Because it's colleagues. He stood against mm-hmm. modernism, right? That was yes. a big piece. Yes, the big piece, yeah. He wasn't also, it wasn't, it, it, he he appealed to mm-hmm. more than just the holiness movement. Yeah. Like his, his appeal yeah. against modernism, yeah. premillennialism, premillennialism. him probably yes. in a broader mm-hmm. way. In a broader way, yeah. I mean, it, it. I mean, it's interesting. He was able to operate within mainstream Methodism, uh, but then had a lot of friends in the radical holiness stream. Yeah, you know, yeah, especially folks from God's Bible School, which not too far from you know from Wilmore. You, yes, God's Bible yeah. School was in Cincinnati, <laughs> so you know, you well, that's where OMS came from, uh, the right, Oriental right. Missionary Society. Uh, and and so he's kind of look at us as, as a friend in that movement, you know. Uh, For sure, and it's interesting. I, I was able to do all of that, you know. Uh, and and uh, I mean, it's really a, he's really a, a fascinating figure. Um, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm not I'm not surprised why uh, during his time he was able to uh, he was able to kind of revive Asbury College. Right. You know, because it was it was uh, in a big mess at that time, uh, financially. But you know, he was able to uh, kind of um, at least you know during his leadership, he was able to kind of lift up the the school uh, yes. out of financial trouble. Right. Uh, and then later on, he was able to establish a seminary. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, uh, both, I mean yeah. both things when both institutions, yeah. in my view, would not mm. exist without yeah. his leadership. Obviously, exactly being founded. Mm. Uh, there's an interesting dissertation by Mike Longino, who's mm. a journalist, a journalism professor, but he looked at the way that um, um, he, uh, Morrison was able to use the Pentecostal Herald to mm. unite a group and yeah. also to save the school financially. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think that that's it was in part. Yeah. This brought, I, I think mm. my, my little summary thought, and I'll let you give a closing thought too, is like this pan Wesleyan movement is, doesn't necessarily need to be connected to institutions yeah. at the same time. There's, there's something going on, but it does need a uniting mm-hmm. connection. Yeah. Um, and, and I know, I don't want to take away from your emphasis of what was able to happen in this world tour, but it was this message that mm-hmm. was uniting. Exactly. So, exactly. Right, it was, it was a message. Closing, yeah. Closing comment on that, and then I have yes. one more question for you. Yes, yeah, precisely. You know, uh, it, it's really the message. Uh, the message that he carried resonated with people. Uh, the message of, offered hope. Yes. Uh, you know, the sin is reality that people experience in their lives, and they want to get out of that reality, that, that sin. Uh, and Morrison offered a way gave, yes. you know, that made sense to them. <laughs> Uh, and it was it resonated with people. It resonated with folks from the, the whole one pan Western connection that were subscribing to his paper. You know, obviously they love what he was writing, what he was doing. Uh, uh, he was a successful evangelist preaching, uh, but at the same time, when he went to the when when he went for his world tour, quote unquote, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the mess. You know, this, just the same thing. The same. Uh, Welcoming the way how his message was welcomed in, in in the U.S. You know, it was the same, uh, the same outpouring of uh, of support. Yes, <laughs> uh, was yes. manifested as, as well uh, in those in those parts of the world. Not even, and, and I'm not just talking about uh, American audiences. You know, he 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 preached to Filipino audiences, to Burmese, yes. <laughs> you know, to Indians, uh, you know, international folks. Uh, because these were uh, his accounts were full of uh, you know uh, amazing things happening at the altar, and mostly it's, it's not you know you have the admixture of Americans, Europeans there, particularly in India, but then for the most part, natives, you know, yeah, or, or, or nationals uh, responding to his message. So I guess I think that's what the key to his success was. It's it's, it's the message that that he yes. carried, um, and sometimes we we tend to not recognize that. Uh, people tend to look at more at the uh, on the uh, on the outside things, yeah, visual, yeah. you know, all of that. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I did when when I did my study is to really recognize if you're going to study people, if you're going to study missionaries or personalities, look at what they're teaching, look at the the, the, the content, the doctrinal yes. content, uh, because more 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 often or not, we we ignore those, we ignore that, you know, in our yes. in, when we do studies on, on people. Um, yeah. yeah. So well, that's great. Luther, thank great. you so much for your time here. Well, I always ask people in, in connected to this idea. I say there's more yeah. to the story because it's like yeah. a theological concept. Exactly. Like, yeah. There's more than mm. just salvation, but yeah. is there also more to the story of Luther O'Connor than most people know? Oh, like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Just, just like Morrison, one of the things that attracted me to him, you know, he was a revivalist and evangelist and, yeah. uh, and I too, am a, am, am a, am a, I, I would say a revivalist as well. I, Amen. part of the things that I do, not, I, I, I not only teach in the seminary, I not only do R&D research and development, so to speak, 
but I also, uh, particularly in 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 the past six years, five or six years, I I, I began uh, I find began finding myself more uh, in in the pulpit preaching, okay. doing events. Uh, uh, and also, I uh, started finding myself doing more a lot of uh, divine healing, <laughs> okay. divine healing workshops, uh, as, not just in my preaching, but also uh, because imagine when, when, when was this? Probably around 2016 and up, uh, I increasingly found myself being invited uh, to do divine healing workshops in, in churches <laughs> more than I was invited to do uh, workshops on Methodism. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah the, the divine healing part you know aspect in my ministry uh, outpaced that you know yeah uh and, and it seems churches you know um uh, seem to seek me out more for that at least uh prior to, to the pandemic that was the case uh yeah and yeah. and and so i i really find this exciting because um uh, because prior to be, you know, entering the 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 academy, the academe. Uh, I was a pastor. I was pastoring yeah. a church. Uh, I was a youth revivalist, and that's what what got me in trouble, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, way back then, in my you know, as I was I was starting in the ministry, and then to find myself coming full circle, just yeah. about five to six years ago. Uh, and one of my, I guess, one of my highlights in my in my ministry. Uh, was in 2016 when I was invited to the Philippines, uh, in the United Ventures in the Philippines, to 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 be uh, one of the preachers or to preach at the uh, what they would call the Revive Conference that was uh, oh, in Manila, wow. and and there were about 12,000 people there. Amazing in, in that in that stadium, and as I was standing there in front of the of those people, I was really terrified. <laughs> I'm but sure. at the same time, I was kind of reminded, you know, uh, I reminded myself, you know, you were just writing about revival, the history of revival uh, in this country, you know, uh, of revivalism, in the, uh, of, of revivalism, of the wholeness movement in, in the Philippines. And now here you are, you're doing a revival. Wow. Uh, and, you know, it's very humbling uh, to think about Gosh. that, you know, it's, it's yeah, uh, because I saw my, you know, I was kind of seeing myself more of a, as a professor, as a right, academic. Right. And then suddenly, yeah. yeah. And then suddenly been given that opportunity. So yeah, I just thank God for that. Where yeah, I'm seeing myself now. Yeah. Oh, I love, you know, mm -hmm. when I left, um, I left a uh, local church through the mm -hmm. ministry of the Salvation mm -hmm. Army. And mm -hmm. it just been about a year since I did that. Mm -hmm. And I entered mm -hmm. the academy myself. And mm -hmm. I wondered about that. And I just look back mm -hmm. and I, I think I probably preached more yeah. this past year. Yes. I did it when I was a local church pastor. Exactly. So it's amazing how God continues to keep these doors open for the way he wants to work yeah. through us. And I'm so thankful, Amen. Luther, Amen. for how God's using you as your, your teaching, your scholarship, and your mm -hmm. preaching, and for the way that you're open to the Spirit's work. So thanks so much for coming Praise on God. the More to the Story podcast. It's a blessing to have you. Thanks again. And the uh, thanks, thank you all. Thanks for having me. Uh, God bless. <laughs> <laughs>